I had another quote unquote boyfriend at age 17, but that also doesn't count to me really because he didn't even live in my city. And in hindsight, he was probably dating someone else. So there's that. Heartbreakers, it's here. Episode 100. I personally can't believe it. I couldn't have even envisioned what this point would look like when I started Interstates and Heartbreak. I didn't really have a plan for it. It was just something that I thought would be fun to do. So I roped many of my friends into discussing their personal lives over a microphone. Thank you to everyone who partook. You know who you are. And I just kind of like threw myself into this whole production thing once the pandemic removed pretty much all of my normal distractions and excuses. Honestly, very basic of me considering the number of active podcasts increased by over 20% from 2020 to 2021. So yeah, it's not as if this were exactly a unique endeavor, but definitely one that has been quite a journey, I will say. I've had like some really fantastic conversations with friends that will now forever be memorialized. And as it grew, I met some amazing people who I never would have connected with were it not for the podcast. I've talked to people who were formerly complete strangers about intimate moments ranging from finding out their boyfriend had a secret second relationship to the intimate details of being in a thruple to strippers recounting clients who've asked to be kicked in the balls. So yeah, safe to say very different from the other Zoom conversations that I was having during my nine to five. But even beyond that, like beyond the wild stories, beyond the gossip sessions, one of the best elements of the podcast was hearing that people connected with it on some level. A lot of the time, I think the request for podcast reviews gets ignored or even parodied, and I get it. Honestly, part of it is like for clout. Reviews can be pretty instrumental in new listeners' decision to either listen to a show or to skip over it. When I'm pitching new guests, like you bet I tout the fact that I have a five-star rating to add some credibility. And I'm personally biased. Like I'm that nosy person who is fascinated to pour through reviews to see what other people are saying about a show. I did it just the other day for a show that I've been listening to for years. I was just like, what are people saying these days? Most recently, I've read through, I kid you not, every recent review on a podcast after some negative press came out about its host just to see how people were reacting because You can turn off Instagram comments, but you cannot block those Apple reviews. So there's some good tea in there sometimes. But back to the main point, reading nice reviews about your show can actually serve as like a motivation to keep you going that sometimes you didn't even know that you needed. I actually recently applied for a podcast scholarship and part of that application process involved soliciting feedback from fans of the show. So If you were one of the individuals who submitted, thank you so much. And I didn't realize that after the contest was over, I'd actually have a chance to see those letters 
And it was really such an unexpected and moving surprise to read things that people were saying, like, this podcast makes me feel seen, or it's an absolute must listen, and I look forward to every episode. On their surface, they're just words, and I'm having a hard time articulating this right now, but it really does just help me thrive to know that the podcast is reaching people in some way and not just kind of going out into the void. And, you know, another encouraging outcome of this scholarship is the fact that I was actually selected as a recipient of a podcast scholarship after all was said and done. And a lot of times, you know, when people say things about the podcast, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so cool that you have a side hustle. And I joke, but you know, all good jokes are rooted in truth, that the podcast is actually hustling me because it is certainly not an endeavor without its production and equipment costs. So I was definitely grateful for the funds to offset some of those recurring expenses. And because of that, I am more than happy to provide a quick plug to the podcast fund. It is a collaboration through Racket and Stir. They've given away a total of $100,000, unfortunately not only to me, but to a variety of podcasters. And the whole purpose is to support up and coming podcasters in their creative endeavors. And, you know, if you have ever been podcast curious or you just kind of want to check them out, maybe recommend them to somebody who is on a podcast journey of their own, you can find them at podcast.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-H.com. So aside from reflecting and making a case for you to leave a nice review of the podcast on Apple, if you haven't already... I wanted to use this 100th episode as an opportunity to answer some listener-submitted questions. And I put out the call on my Instagram. I definitely meant it when I said that I was open to answering anything. So I thought I would get like more spicy questions than I did, but I did surprisingly receive a question submission from none other than an ex of mine, which obviously I'm going to answer. So stay tuned if you are interested in hearing about that. But the first question I'm going to answer is one that I actually really struggled to answer. And the question was, when was the last time a friend made you really mad? And the person who submitted this knows me pretty well, actually. So they likely had a good idea that this would be a pretty difficult question for me to answer. And they actually cited the fact that I'm usually pretty even keeled, their words. And that was their kind of reason for wanting the answer to this. like hearing what it's like when I'm not even keeled and what could even trigger me to like veer from that. And I wouldn't say that my like even keeled nature absolves me from being emotional. Like I, I'm pretty tapped into emotion. Sometimes I'll cry at like a chicken noodle soup commercial, you know, it's just that the emotion is rarely actual anchor. And I actually like did come up with a response to this, which may be a bit of a cop out, but hear me out. But after I came up with this response, I was listening to another podcast literally earlier today. And one of the two hosts was talking about the fact that she is an only child and therefore she has never, not never, but she didn't grow up in a household where, you know, you're fighting with people who are your peers. And so she didn't really like 
grow up developing that skill set. And that can sound like it's a good thing, right? It's like you don't want to be super argumentative and be like, oh, I'm so great at fighting and picking fights all the time. But I will say there is actually something to being able to recognize your anger and tap into it, but then like address it in a way that's healthy and not hurtful and then subsequently be able to resolve it. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God, I never thought about that. But like the fights you get into with your parents are very different than fights that you would get into with someone who is like your equal. And so the fact that I didn't grow up with that, I don't know if that has something to do with the fact that like I'm not super tapped into my anger. I don't know, but I just thought that was an interesting aside. So going back to answering this question, it really took me so long to think of the last time when I was truly like angry. Like I literally was sitting there trying to tap into what that feeling is. And I know the feeling like my body temperature will literally get hot. Like it just increases and I just feel myself getting warm and like, my eyes will narrow and I actually get really quiet. And I think that maybe goes back to that whole not really knowing how to tap into your anger because I think my instinct is more to kind of like stew in what I want to say and how I want to react rather than just blurting something out and reacting in the moment, which again, can be good and bad. It has its pros and cons. But anyway, the last time that I could really remember feeling this feeling of like my body temperature just rising in anger, all I'm going to say is it was related to work without getting into when it was or any identifying details about the company or the colleague. But essentially I was just like accused of withholding information and not being transparent about something I was working on. But the thing that made me so upset was that the accusation came up not only in front of another employee, but a superior. So I was just caught off guard. I had to like defend myself and I was clearly just not very happy with how it all went down. And then after this all happened, I remember walking out of the room and the conversation had turned to weekend plans and I was legitimately still so riled up that I couldn't even just like put on a smile and partake in that small talk. I actually had to physically turn and walk in the other direction without them just so I could cool off. So I wish I had something juicier, honestly, but I am glad to say that I don't have a recent memory of a visceral reaction like that that was tied to a friend. So I guess I'm really lucky in that sense. Okay. So yeah, I guess that one would have been spicy if it were more recent or it revealed some ongoing friend drama, but the next one is actually spicy in a very different way. And it's a question around my thoughts on the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. And it's interesting because I got this question a little while ago and I admittedly wasn't watching the trial at the time. Obviously, I was aware of the nature of the trial. Like I've heard the pop culture commentary. I've seen the TikToks making fun of Amber Heard. I even actually listened to a whole podcast where this body language expert who had been in the courtroom was explaining all the mannerisms and speech patterns that allegedly indicate that Amber is lying. And I've kind of gone back and forth on whether or not I quote unquote, like should be watching it. 
I feel like it's a trial that will likely go down in history for our generation. You know, like I found myself wondering, is this like the OJ trial of our millennial years? I don't know. Or at the very least, you know, there will probably maybe be a docuseries on Hulu about it at some point. So I probably should be more familiar with the source material. So I had this week where I actively tuned into the testimony, and this was after I had this question posed to me, and I was curious. And that was the week when Amber was testifying, and I have to say, it was very disturbing testimony at some points. Like, it was pretty horrible to hear, and it also made me question, like, am I a bad judge of when people are lying? Because everyone else seems wholly convinced that she is. But I didn't personally witness anything that could drive me to state that with conviction. And for the record, I'm not saying, oh, I believe her. I'm also not saying, oh, I fully think she's lying. I just don't have the level of conviction that everyone else seems to have. Granted, I haven't heard Johnny Depp's full testimony outside of some highlight clips. I haven't heard the cross-examination. I can't speak to whether or not I think the abuse allegations are true or false or partially true. Okay, maybe I'll say they're probably partially true, but all I can say is that I don't know. And I'm also answering this question during an interesting week because I actually listened to a podcast about the Monica Lewinsky scandal a few days ago. And then last Friday, I finally finished Pam and Tommy. Amazing, but it left me crying on my couch. See, I told you, I can get emotional. I will cry over media very easily. And both were fascinating. So they were these stories that were obviously in the zeitgeist as household knowledge, but like I was in elementary school when both of these scandals took place. So I wasn't really familiar with the extent of the coverage. And I just feel like after diving into two stories about females who were on the wrong side of public opinion, in both cases, pretty unfairly, I just probably won't be in the headspace to comment on Amber Heard until... I look more into it and also, to be honest, until I have the benefit of hindsight. But it was definitely interesting to reflect on that. Okay, so the next question is one that I'd actually like to dedicate a broader episode to because there are so many directions that it could go. But I did also want to partially answer it in this forum because it was actually a topic that was directly requested before I even submitted my call for 100th episode topics. And the question is around timelines for being official. And it's so hard. Like, I understand why this question was submitted, because there's never going to be a hard and fast rule around, oh, well, after X number of dates, you should be exclusive. And then after X number of months, you should be in a relationship. Even on that level, some people don't even believe in the distinction between being exclusive. I know some people think it's bullshit and it's just another hurdle to get to a relationship. And I feel like it's a tool avoidant people could use in theory to avoid commitment. I think though that the reason why exclusivity is used as a stopover point is because it's a way of saying, I respect you enough to not sleep with other people or to try and initiate with other people while we continue to date and see how things go. However, I'm not yet ready to commit to all that comes with making things official. Like in theory, you know, the unspoken commitment to working through difficult things when you're in a relationship just isn't quite there when you're only exclusive. And I get why that can be annoying. 
But to make a case for exclusivity as its own pre-relationship step, I think there are a lot of benefits to taking intentional steps towards being exclusive and giving things a real shot when you feel like there's potential, but you're not yet sure if you see someone as your boyfriend or girlfriend. Like the alternative is, I really like this person, but either I'm not ready for this title yet, or they're not ready for this title yet. So I guess, A, I'll just keep dating other people for the hell of it. B, I'll stop dating people, but I'll wonder if they're dating other people because they technically don't owe me anything. Or C, I will give them an ultimatum in order to get a title, which just puts unnecessary pressure on things and might cause a premature ending. Now, I am honestly like a proponent of dating multiple people in the early stages. So just want to clear that up. Like if that's your thing, it's not for everyone, but it is the approach that I would take when I was on the apps. But eventually, if you like someone and you can see a possible relationship, the game of chicken can't go on forever. Like eventually you have to shit or get off the pot. So to go back to the timeline portion of it, I I can't give a set time frame, but I will say that once you personally get to a point where you have no interest in dating other people and the idea of the other person dating other people would make you uncomfortable or anxious based on your level of emotional investment, I think then it's time to bring it up. And not in a sense of like, if you won't be exclusive with me, I'll leave. Instead, you come at it through the lens of expressing where you're at asking them where they're at. And if the response they give you isn't one that sits right with you, then you express your inability to continue dating them under those conditions, just based on your personal boundaries. The important distinction is that you're not trying to change their mind, especially not through a threat. And you can fully validate their right to be in the place that they're at while simultaneously acknowledging that that place just doesn't work for you. And to give the most pertinent example in my personal life, this became an issue when I was dating Michael. So, I mean, if you've been listening, this is not new news. I've, of course, spoken about it on the podcast before, most in-depth with him on the podcast in the We Were on a Break episode. So again, not 100% new information for everyone, but in case you are unfamiliar, I'll give a quick synopsis. So I had been dating Michael for like two to three months after we matched on Hinge. Some of that time was limited to FaceTime while I was in San Diego, but it was still a pretty notable amount of time before things fizzled out. So then we rekindled. He said he missed me and wanted to explore dating. So I was like, okay, cool. And then the very next time I saw him after he mentioned all of this, he brought up the fact that he had been on a first date the night before. So in a very on-brand way, I didn't react in the moment despite being quite taken aback. And I took time to think through all my feelings around it and realize I'm not really okay with kind of just like starting over and knowing that you're going to be continuing to pursue other people. So the next time we hung out after that, I asked where his head was at in terms of exclusivity and his openness to it. And in that case, it wasn't inspired by a timeline per se. It was really just based on how I was feeling about the situation. Like to me, it didn't make sense for us to keep dating if he wasn't invested enough to stop going on first dates with other people after knowing me for two to three months and actively going out of his way to come back and try things again. So again, I'll just say it all goes back to how you're feeling about the situation and whether that situation directly conflicts to a boundary that you've set. And maybe it's a boundary that you didn't even previously know you had, and that's okay too. So the next question is a bit lighter, but 
um, also a bit darker at the same time. And it's what are the five things that I would do if I only had five months to live. So as I was thinking about this, the one thing that continually came to mind was like travel. So I'm going to outline the five specific travel experiences that I would seek out. And coincidentally, I actually have two upcoming trips that are not only both on my priority list, they are also happening in the next five months. So it works out pretty well for this question. So I'm going to Jamaica, which I have not been to since age 14, so quite some time. And I've wanted to be more connected to Jamaica given my heritage. So I would add that to the list. And then for literally the best possible reason, I am going to India to celebrate one of my best friend's weddings. So I think I'm going to count those as two of my five, even though I'm hopefully surviving for more than five months. Um, And then just go from there for the rest of the three destinations. So the third destination I would pick is Austria with my mom so that we could see the setting of her favorite movie, The Sound of Music. I would also have to stay in Giraffe Manor in Kenya. Have always wanted to go to Africa, obsessed with giraffes, no brainer. And then finally, I would go to Italy. I've never been there. It's been on my list for quite some time. And I would spend at least part of my time in this specific hotel that I found on Instagram years ago and have been following ever since called Chalet Alfos. It's probably not the best pronunciation, but you should look it up. It's beautiful. Okay, so winding down to the final two questions, we are actually going to dive into the one submitted by my ex. I'm not even going to make you guys wait until the final question for that. And it's funny because I'm realizing now that I could have just read the question without revealing who submitted it because the question was submitted as, what did you learn from your first relationship? But honestly, I feel like it's specific enough that Allowing the speculation would make it more scandalous in a way because it would be like, hmm, who is so invested in her first relationship specifically versus asking about what I've learned from my current relationship or just the most important lesson that any boyfriend has taught me in general. So anyway, I think it's important to give some context around this. So my first relationship, as it's referenced here, started when I was 23. I had a quote unquote boyfriend my freshman year of high school that lasted like two weeks and we never even kissed as any avid podcast listeners know. I didn't even even get my first kiss until I was 16. And then I had another quote unquote boyfriend at age 17, but that also doesn't count to me really because he didn't even live in my city. I met him in person, like we interacted in person multiple times and spent extended periods of time together, but like very disjointed. And in hindsight, he was probably dating someone else. So there's that. So yeah, at 23, this was my first relationship of any significance. And it was interesting because it was like, 23 is not old, but At that point, most people have experienced some sort of committed relationship. So I was definitely catching up on a lot of things when it came to communication with a partner. And because I'm non-confrontational in general, and I hadn't really seriously considered my expectations for relationships or the future, let alone ever had to communicate them to someone else. And then finally, even today, as evidenced by my response to the anchor question, I kind of tend towards withholding until I feel confident in how I want to articulate my emotions. Because of all those reasons, 
opening up about certain relationship issues didn't come naturally to me. And then on top of that, I remember this boyfriend used to express that one thing he appreciated about our relationship was the fact that we didn't fight and how chill I was. And so I think I kind of internalized that and I didn't necessarily see the importance around vocalizing things that were bothering me, assuming that they weren't a big deal. Big deal, of course, being subjective. And I think the reflection that I've done after that relationship has helped me see that you don't have to fight per se. I certainly wouldn't say fights are a common aspect of my current relationship, but you can find ways to express your concerns more frequently in a mature communicative way before it gets to the point where things actually are a big deal. And if you have a partner who's amenable to it and also values communication, it will probably make your relationship stronger. So that was a great area of reflection and growth following that relationship. And then I will also tack on another thing and say, I learned that your attachment style can be entirely malleable based on who you're dating. Unless of course you are a hundred percent secure on the attachment style scale, in which case you're unlikely to be swayed by anyone. But I will say that when I was dating this first boyfriend, I was pretty secure with some avoidant tendencies. And then when I went to my next relationship, I shifted pretty solidly into an anxious attachment style. So that lesson more came out of like the amalgamation of both relationships, but still an important one for me to learn. Okay. So the last question to wrap it all up, what is one thing that I learned about myself through producing interstates and heartbreak? And I love the specificity of this question because it could be easy to focus on a range of things across a hundred episodes, but this question calls for just one thing. And another specific detail that I'm going to glom onto is the fact that it asked about one thing I've learned about myself through producing specifically. And of course, you know, the process of producing this podcast goes beyond just conducting the interviews. In my case, it's literally everything start to finish from identifying guests to outlining the episode flow to editing to writing the descriptions and making the social posts. So In my case, I'm going to focus my response on something I learned about myself through the editing process. I have a lot of not so nice things that I could say about the editing process, but I am going to focus on this positive because I think that editing the show forced me to become more reflective about my approach to dating. I think I've alluded to this in the past, but when I first started recording, I recorded like 11 episodes before editing a single one. Then, like I mentioned before, the pandemic started and I had all this time to dedicate to actually putting out the podcast. So the next required step was to edit all of these episodes that I'd backlogged. So I listened to myself in multiple conversations with multiple people, repeat a few different complaints around dating with the main themes being around dating at burnout, my frustration around going on mediocre dates and continuing to go on dates with these individuals, even after they'd proven to be only mediocre only to find myself having to craft a breakup message to someone I wasn't even in a relationship with. I haven't listened back to them in a long time, but probably episodes three to seven in particular, just based on the nature of those discussions that I had with those guests, all of whom are pretty good friends of mine. So producing the podcast actually forced me to reflect on the fact that I really wasn't being as intentional about my dating as I needed to be. 
And so one thing I can say I'm grateful to editing for is forcing me to look into that mirror. And with that question, my hundredth episode comes to a close. And I have to end by saying thank you again, all of you for supporting me on this interstates and heartbreak journey, whether you have been a day one listener whether you've taken a chance on this podcast as a more recent listener, whether you're a former guest, whether you've even just told a friend about this podcast, every single ounce of support over the past two years has made it all worth it. And it's funny that the hundredth episode mark I realized kind of coincides with the two year mark. Um, though that mark is a bit nebulous, but I'm putting this out over Memorial day weekend, 2022, The first episode I posted over Memorial Day weekend of 2020 was actually my trailer, not technically episode one. And then I did take a pause in light of the tragic news around George Floyd's murder, but I still kind of view Memorial Day as a big milestone for the podcast, essentially my anniversary mark. And in kind of a full circle moment, I'm actually about to take a break again. Um, It was not an easy decision. It's not something I'm really comfortable with. I'm actually, you know, the only other break I've ever taken was around Christmas and New Year's of 2021. And then I got right back at it the first Sunday of 2022. This break is going to be a bit longer. And, you know, while this has been a fantastic journey, I think I'm at a point where I do need to take a step back in order to kind of get some ducks in a row. And just to make sure that I can continue to be thoughtful about the podcast rather than feeling like I'm just spinning my wheels to ensure that it gets out each week, which admittedly has increasingly been the feeling just as life has been returning to normal-ish and I've been going back into the office with greater frequency. And I just know that I'm going to need a bit of time to acclimate as that ramps up in June. So... The timing of that combined with the milestone of 100 episodes feels like the perfect opportunity for an intentional break, bringing it back to intentionality. And, you know, I already have multiple interviews scheduled for the release after my break ends, and my hope is that in the meantime, you will hear from me more on other forums. Like, I'll actually have time to dedicate more to posting on social and to writing and just I'm making an active decision to say it on the podcast so that it holds me accountable. So don't worry. Interstates and heartbreak isn't over. Just think of it like that guy who ghosts inexplicably after three great dates. I'll be back. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.